Oh, hello there. Have you ever thought about what it would take to eat another person? Have you ever questioned in your mind what another person might taste like? Is it truly as unethical as we think? Consuming human flesh seems to be one of humanity's last great taboos. For hundreds of years, Western society has seen those who partake in the practice of cannibalism to be savage and insane, perhaps even evil. But despite a repulsion to the deplorable idea of eating another human being, is it really as bad as we make it out to be? So when did people start eating other people? Actually, a better question to ask is, when did we stop eating other people? Anthropological data shows that millions of years ago, Homo antecessor, the link between Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, were cannibals for nutritional reasons. As we evolved, however, we began to develop more ways of catching our food, leaving cannibalism, the less sustainable food source, to the wayside. So why do we consider cannibalism to be such a bad thing? Well, aside from its animalistic perception, we as humans for a long time have believed that murder is wrong. And while you would think murder and cannibalism would go hand in hand much in the same way you can't have a burger without killing the cow, cannibalism is illegal in very few countries, including the United States. While the act of cannibalism is not illegal in the U.S. per se, the act of killing another person and desecrating a corpse is. The same holds true in many other countries, including Germany and Japan, where no such laws exist. And while we may think that in order to get the meat you have to kill the sores, cow to hamburger for example, sometimes this isn't the case. In one of the more recent cases of cannibalism, Japanese exhibition artist Mao Sugiyama gained national attention for a tweet he sent in 2012, offering to cook his genitals and serve them to paying customers. Sugiyama, a self-described asexual, decided to have his genitalia removed on his 22nd birthday as a demonstration of his non-gender identity. Sugiyama charged 100,000 yen for diners to eat his full penis, testicles, and scrotum skin, which he had chefs help him prepare by frying them and serving them with button mushrooms and Italian parsley. Five participants willingly paid the price for the exotic fare and described the meal as somewhat rubbery, while the testicles had a gamey, fishy flavor. Despite the participants' willingness to take part in the exotic meal, the viral event caused a worldwide uproar, with protesters calling for legal action against Sugiyama. However, Japan's lack of cannibalism laws prevented him from being arrested, and with Sugiyama following all of Japan's human waste laws during the meal, as well as being tested as negative for all venereal diseases, Japanese authorities could not take any legal action against the artist. Due to the fact that the five participants signed waivers before partaking in the exhibition, we are unsure whether or not they did face any adverse health effects. However, studies have shown that human flesh may be one of the leanest meats, having fewer calories than more acceptable dishes. So now for the big question, what do we truly taste like? Well, we have the accounts from some serial killers and we have the accounts of people who have visited cannibalistic tribes. However, no one seems to agree. 
1972, Arthur Shawcross killed a young boy and girl in Watertown, New York. He went to prison for the crimes, but he was released after serving just under 15 years, to which he began killing again. He killed 11 more people before being caught in 1990. When he was caught, he admitted to eating the genitals of an 11-year-old boy along with the genitals of three prostitutes. When asked about it, he equated the taste to that of a pork roast. However, others have described the taste to be that of veal, as well as somewhat stringy in texture. In the 1920s, author and journalist William Seabrook described the taste during his experiences with West African cannibals in his book Jungle Ways as a good, fully developed veal. But hey, I don't need to tell you to try human, because you already have. Well, kind of. Although most people think of cannibalism as being either exo-cannibalism, eating strangers, or endo-cannibalism, eating those you know, there is another kind that almost every person partakes in, in some form or fashion, and it's called auto-cannibalism, the act of eating oneself. Whether it's biting your nails, chewing the inside of your mouth, eating boogers, eating scabs, yes, some people do that, or simply just involuntarily swallowing dead cells, we have all consumed human at one point or another. And to be especially blunt, if you have ever engaged in oral sex, aren't you also ingesting human as well? Although some people do take auto-cannibalism to more extremes, we are all, in a way, cannibals. So from a dietary perspective, does it make sense to eat people? Well, if you're looking to eat much leaner meats at any cost, such as the sacrifice of your morality, then actually it does. While studying the behavior of early humans to figure out why they may have eaten other humans, Dr. James Cole found it was clear that early cannibalism was for ritual's sake rather than hunger. To gain the calories from, say, a bear, you would have to eat three people, with the majority of calories coming from adipose tissue, such as fat. In all, a 110-pound man would yield approximately 18,000 calories, while a cow can yield approximately 514,000 calories, leading our less health-conscious ancestors to only eat humans in times of food scarcity, as well as for religious reasons. Despite our low-calorie benefits, doctors and scientists have for years cited human flesh as being incredibly dangerous to consume. In the early 20th century, a cannibalistic Papua New Guinea tribe contracted a deadly disease called kuru, or shaky death, after eating human brains in a ritualistic ceremony. The majority of the sufferers in the tribe were the elderly and women, with the fatal brain disease being a variation of Creutzfeldt-Jakob, similar to mad cow disease. Both mad cow and kuru are prion diseases, which occur when misshapen prion proteins make normal proteins form incorrectly, causing them to clump and form small cavities similar to the holes in a sponge. The sufferers would experience loss of coordination followed by hallucinations, severe rapidly progressing dementia, paralysis, and eventually death. Like other prion diseases, kuru is incredibly deadly and decimated much of the tribe during the 1950s. So is human meat really all that dangerous, or is it primarily just the brains? Just like other Creutzfeldt-Jakob diseases, which are neurological degenerative diseases, you have to eat infected meat to get the prion disease. In the case of mad cow, it was the cows that ate feed containing parts of infected cows, causing the disease to spread. Despite national panic when mad cow disease was detected in the U.S. in the early 2000s, all prion diseases affect only one per million people, 
making them rare even for cannibals. In fact, believe it or not, Kuru is even less of a threat to the Papua New Guinea tribe today. Although they stopped practicing cannibalism in the late 1950s, the disease persisted years after its first sightings due to the slow developing nature of the illness. Those who did survive the disease outbreak, however, carried a unique genetic mutation called V127, which made them immune to the disease. Researchers believe that the once cannibalistic tribe evolved a resistance to the fatal disease, leading scientists to believe that these remote people may hold the key in preventing future forms of prion diseases. So despite the dangers of leading a cannibalistic lifestyle, cannibalism may have led to a new scientific breakthrough that could save potentially countless lives. Perhaps one of the most recognized forms of cannibalism today isn't for pleasure or for ritual, it's for survival. One of the more well-known examples of survival cannibalism was that of the 1846 Donner Party of settlers traveling to California who tried to take a shortcut, leaving them stranded and desperate for food. This is when members of the group started to eat other members of the group. While gruesome, cannibalism for survival has been seen as a more acceptable form of cannibalism. Perhaps this is because when times are tough, we understand a person's will to survive can overpower a person's tastes or morals. With those who serve as a survival meal being already dead, they don't suffer and will otherwise only rot, and then everyone dies. A complete waste. But is it only the dead that can justify cannibalism? Science and nutrition aside, a person would have to be completely insane, completely outside of their right mind, in order to bring themselves to eat another human being. Anyone willing to go that far must be completely crazy, isn't that right? In 2001, a German man named Armin Mivas posted an online solicitation looking for a partnership in which he would inevitably eat the person who accepted this proposition. In the advert, he said that he was looking for a boy, one he could kill and butcher for the purpose of eating. I am a cannibal, he said, a real cannibal. Despite the post's sinister nature, Mivas did receive a response from a man by the name of Burned Brandis. The two met up for sex, in which Brandis asked Mivas to cut off his penis after they had finished. Mivas complied, frying up the appendage, with the two consuming it together afterwards. Brandis then gave Mivas consent to kill him, after which he was dismembered and placed in a freezer for preservation. By the time Mivas was arrested, he had already consumed approximately 20 kilograms of the man's body. Germany, not having any laws against cannibalism, tried Mivas for the crime of murder and corpse dismemberment. Although many believed him to be insane, medical professionals deemed Mivas to be of sound mind, with a court-appointed psychiatrist claiming that he had not suffered a diminished responsibility at the time of the killing. Probably one of the most widely misunderstood and demonized forms of cannibalism is ritual cannibalism. We believe these acts are often committed by the uncivilized tribal people. We view them as savage and cruel, seeing them as nothing but bloodthirsty monsters. Yet most instances of cannibalism in groups are not to terrify outsiders like we see in the movies, but rather an act of respect. Tribes like the Wari tribe of remote Brazil practice what is called mortuary cannibalism, where they consume their dead as a sign of respect. After a period of mourning, the body would be cut up and barbecued. Although it was prepared like regular meat, eating it avidly was discouraged. Family members who ate the meat avoided touching it with their hands, placing it directly from the bowl into their mouths. What remained afterwards was then burned along with the grill used to cook their flesh. 
And you have to wonder, what is really more respectful when you look at it? Taking a dead body, cutting it open, pulling out its insides, stuffing it with preservatives, stitching it back up, presenting it to a bunch of loved ones, and then burying it in the ground? Or consuming your loved one once they've passed? Many would say the first, but really think about how the embalming process works. The embalmer sets the body's features, then makes an incision near the collarbone, where they place arterial tubes in the main arteries, draining them of all their blood. The body is then massaged as the blood goes out and the embalming fluid goes in. The mouth is forced closed and the jaw is often wired shut. Then the corpse is dressed up to appear lifelike so it can be displayed to numerous loved ones. And finally, they are placed in a coffin and buried in the earth. Considering all that the body has to go through just for a viewing and to eventually be covered in dirt, is it any less of a desecration than funeral cannibalism? While this is incredibly normal in our society today, it is also incredibly expensive. A funeral can cost, on average, about $10,000, placing financial strain on the family in their time of mourning, rather than letting them focus on the life of the individual. This can often be on top of the cost of handling the affairs of the deceased, so a proper burial is just one more thing to worry about when all you want to do is properly mourn, and when the cost of burying a loved one can cause crippling debt for families who cannot afford it, are we really the more civilized ones? When we consume something, it plays a role in turning us into, well, us. We are who we are because of what we eat. So in a way, an unpopular way, by consuming our deceased loved ones safely, their death is providing us with life. That's a bit poetic if you really think about it in a morbid kind of a way. So now here is where I questioned you. On my Twitter, I asked, would you ever eat human meat? Here are the results. Out of 2,065 voters, 11% said they would definitely try it. 9% said they would possibly try it. 50% said they'd only eat human in a survival situation. And 30% said they'd absolutely never eat human under any circumstance. So will cannibalism ever be accepted by the mainstream? It's quite unlikely. However, just because we think something is bad doesn't mean it's all bad. It's just a matter of perspective. And I hope this episode has given you something to chew on. Remember, to learn anything, you have to question everything. Good beef jerky. I think I'll stick with that. Hey, a man's gotta eat. A long bus ride can be quite boring, and sometimes a nice nap can help and pass the time. But for Tim McLean, falling asleep on his bus ride would prove to be a fatal decision. Tim was on his way home from working at a fair in Alberta. The ride home would take 15 hours. So Tim put on some headphones and tried to relax. Most of the trip went just as planned, nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever, until the bus came to a halt only three hours from Tim's destination. Vince Lee, a middle-aged man, stepped onto the bus and took a seat near the front. Just another passenger looking to get somewhere. Or was he? At some point during the ride, Vince looked back and took notice of Tim, who was surprisingly unaware. 
So he stood up, walked to the back of the bus where Tim was seated and sat next to him. Tim barely offered Vince so much as a glance and closed his eyes to get more sleep. Out of nowhere, Vince withdrew a blade and began violently stabbing Tim in the neck and chest. Soon after, decapitating him. The bus slammed on its brakes and passengers screaming spewed out into the street, crying and vomiting hysterically. A couple of passengers and a bus driver using hammers and a crowbar as weapons were able to keep Vince on the bus after he tried escaping a number of times. It took hours to get Vince into custody, but when he eventually tried to escape through a window, he was apprehended. What he had done while he remained on that bus for hours was, to say the least, horrifying. Police found body parts stuffed in Vince's pockets and other chunks of Tim's body flung around the area where they had been sitting. Tim's eyes and pieces of his heart weren't recovered, however, due to the fact that Vince devoured them. He then proceeded to carry the head around with him while he remained on the bus as if it were a trophy. Vince claimed that voices had told him to kill Tim because Tim was an alien. He was sentenced to a mental health facility and just earlier this year has been granted unsupervised outings into the public. A dinner party hosted by a cannibal reminds me of Hannibal Lecter. However, this case is far from fiction. This is the story of a man named Nikolai, but perhaps he was better known as the Metal Fang. This was because Nikolai had lost his teeth and had them replaced with white metal ones, like a villain straight from a comic book. Nikolai had a craving for hunting, most specifically hunting women. He would find women in secluded areas and viciously attack them with an axe he usually kept hidden on his person as he went about his daily routine. From there, he would cut off choice parts of their dead bodies and pack them up to bring home. This continued for quite some time as more and more women were butchered. And while he brought all the meat home to cook up for himself, he found that he just had too much. And what do you do when you have a surplus of something? Well you share it with friends. He would invite friends over for delicious ethnic cuisine, expertly prepared just for them. Many meats that were quite unique, never having been tasted before, it offered a pleasurable experience for the palates of his dinner guests. But of course, they all went unaware of what they were truly devouring. Little did they know that Nikolai's freezer was filled with human meat. This went on and on until eventually Nikolai made the mistake of inviting over a couple drunk men. The two men stumbled into Nikolai's kitchen and sobered up rather quickly when they discovered a woman's severed head and her intestines set aside and ready to be cooked. The authorities were contacted immediately and the metal fang was arrested. Nikolai was sentenced to a mental health institution and while being transported from one facility to another, managed to escape. But thankfully, he was found and apprehended once again in 1991. But all those things aside, Nikolai ended up being released and now lives freely amongst the public. Jealousy. It can make a person do some pretty crazy things. However, in this case, that craziness 
it's brought to an entirely new level. Luca Magnotta was a Canadian gay pornographic actor who worked as a model, stripper, and a male escort. A seriously sick individual, he was charged on numerous instances of fraud where he applied for credit cards under other identities to make thousands of dollars worth of purchases. This aside, he also took pleasure in uploading videos of himself on YouTube where he murdered kittens. One video he named One Boy, Two Kittens showed him suffocating kittens to death with a vacuum cleaner. Disturbing behavior often evolves, and for Luca, there was no exception to that rule whatsoever. Luca began dating an international student from China named Lin Jun. This was until the two broke up in 2012, and Lin decided to see another man. This enraged Luca, who would come to commit an atrocity so horrifying it shook Canada and China alike. He kidnapped Lin and tied him to a bed, letting him linger for a while before he violently stabbed him to death with an ice pick. He went on to cut off Lin's head, then his legs and arms. He had sex with the headless, limbless torso before cutting off pieces of flesh with a knife and fork and eating him, sharing the meat with a small puppy. The entire thing was filmed and uploaded online, titled as One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. But Luca's sick, twisted path didn't end there. Luca sent out packages to a number of different political facilities around the country. Blood-soaked and reeking of death, the packages, once opened, revealed Lynn's body parts. Luca had shipped them out, set on victimizing as many people as he could. The video Luca had made was reported a number of times, and authorities just originally shrugged it off. But after inspecting the body parts, they eventually found that Lynn was indeed murdered. And they were able to label Luca as the prime suspect. However, by that time, Luca had fled the country. He was eventually the product of his own undoing, caught in a Berlin internet cafe admiring himself in articles on the internet. He was noticed and promptly apprehended. Luca decided to be tried by judge and jury, and his court date is set for September 8th, of this year. The old saying goes that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach, but some men are only interested in having your heart in their stomach. That's all for now. Remember, you may not believe it, but anything is possible in a world so seriously strange. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate. 
and send a contribution our way, because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.